Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, in the year 386 CE, a young pagan named Augustine converted to Christianity by reading just two verses from Paul's letter to the Romans. He says, I had no wish to read further. There was no need to, for it was though my heart was filled with the light of confidence and all the shadows of doubt were swept away. Written somewhere between 57 and 58 CE, it is safe to say that Romans has been the single most influential book of the Bible for developing Christian doctrine and theology. Not surprisingly, it also has a reputation for being Paul's most difficult letter. Paul, writing to a community that he has never visited, focuses on the person and work of Christ in his letter. He proclaims in an unapologetic manner that the gospel promises, quote, salvation to everyone who has faith. The idea that divine blessings are now offered through Christ to all people runs like a thread through this entire letter. As we shall hear this morning, because of what Christ has done for humanity, nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love, mercy, and unending compassion of God. Let's turn and listen to Paul's powerful words from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. So what are we going to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also freely give us all things with him? Who will bring a charge against God's elect people? It is God who acquits them. Who is going to convict them? It is Christ Jesus who died, even more, who was raised and who also is at God's right side. It is Christ Jesus who also pleads our case for us. Who will separate us from Christ's love? Will we be separated by trouble or distress or harassment or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, we are being put to death all day long for your sake. We are treated like sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we win a sweeping victory through the one who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not death, nor life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or height or depth, or any other thing that is created. Thus ends the reading. May it be so.
When you look back on your life and you consider all that you have learned over these many years you've been given to live, would you say right now that you know more or know less than you did at any previous time in your life? It probably sounds like a trick question because obviously you've learned a lot and you're super smart. And there's a good chance that you're smarter even than the average bear like Yogi. I mean, you wouldn't have made it this far without learning the facts of life and the difference between right and wrong and maybe the natural laws of the universe like relativity and gravity and cause and effect and, and even more uh, next level um, complex information like how to tag someone on Facebook or turn your photos into reels on Instagram. I mean, that is next level, but you probably know that too. So clearly you know a lot and perhaps you've got a degree or two and maybe a little experience under your belt and maybe you're really, really good at the TV game show Jeopardy. But still, would you say you know more or less today than you did when you were younger? It might surprise you to hear how the ancient philosopher Socrates observed and described the way of knowledge for us humans. Socrates said that the only true wisdom is knowing that we know practically nothing. Does that resonate with you ever? Have you ever found yourself saying, the older I get, the less I really know? What was the line from that Bob Dylan song, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now? Or that line from Bono of U2, uh, the more you see, the less you know, the less you find out as you go. I knew much more then than I do now. Perhaps there was a time uh, for some of us here when we thought we had it all figured out. Life maybe was black and white and everything fit into these neat little boxes and the universe was super cooperative. And so we all were so very certain about a lot of things, but then at some point, life threw some unforeseen hard stuff at us. Maybe it was a breakup, a, a death of a loved one, a struggle with addiction or mental illness, a layoff, the sudden death of a life goal or dream. And maybe it was completely undeserved and unexpected, or maybe we were partly to blame. We should have seen it coming, but regardless, it came. And chances are, with time, more of it came because that's how life works. The hard stuff comes to all of us eventually, doesn't it? And slowly we come to see that Socrates maybe had a point. The only true wisdom is knowing that we know practically nothing. And that's in that moment when we have to make a choice. And this is one of the hardest choices you and I will ever have to make. It's a choice between grasping after certainty or living with a certain degree of unknowing. And what makes that such a difficult choice for many of us is that, is that we are such slaves to certainty. Most of us uh, have this need for certitude in almost every area of our lives because it is deeply embedded in our human nature. A trust doesn't come easy for most of us. We need proof, evidence, assurance, insurance, agreements, guarantees before committing to just about anything. 
Consider business matters you're involved in or your personal relationships or your personal dealings in life. Consider how we try to eliminate as much risk and achieve as much certainty as possible. How do we do this? We, we do our due diligence, as we say. We sign contracts. We get second opinions from doctors. We check references before hiring somebody. This is how we control and manage all the uncertainty of this world in our lives. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's wise and sensible to do so. But the problem is this overwhelming need for certainty often shapes our very understanding of God. And our reluctance to trust anything in general in life is only deepened by faith's daring call to trust in something or someone we can't actually see or touch or prove, like God. And this presents a paradox for many of us Christians. We have to ask ourselves, can I live with a certain degree of unknowing? Can I believe in God, trust in God without being certain of everything? Or instead, will I grasp after uh, answers and doctrines and dogmas that promise to eliminate the unknowing that's actually inherent in our faith? So much of modern Christianity, and especially Americanized Christianity, is anchored on the promise of human certainty instead of the promise of God's enduring, undying love for us. So much of American Christianity says that if you just say this prayer, and if you just believe these lists of doctrines and answers, and uh, maybe if you just write this particular check, you'll get into heaven, or you'll earn God's blessing, or you will escape God's wrath, or you will avoid human suffering in this world. And when that happens, faith gets reduced to a mere transaction, and certainty becomes the prize. In our quest for certainty about who God is and how God works in the world, some Christians become like that little child on the beach who digs that hole in the sand and then with her little plastic bucket goes back and forth to the ocean to transfer that ocean into that little hole. Um, we think it's cute and yet her, her efforts are naive and, and futile, but, but she's just a child. But wouldn't all of us hope that someday she would grow up to at least finally understand that there is no ocean that could ever be contained in any hole of any size, on any beach, on any continent. And there are many Christians today who confuse their love for their hole in the sand for their love of God. This creates problems for us. What if instead, though, if we understood that God's hope for us is something like our hope for that little girl on the beach? Because isn't it true that it's simply impossible to contain the whole God of the universe, this boundless, ineffable mystery and presence of God in any human container, like a doctrine, or even a theological system, or dare I say, even a human religion? And if that's true, then the unknowing that we often fear, we come to see it as actually unavoidable. 
that is baked into the experience of our faith, which is a wonderful thing. Because absolute certainty of any kind is a fallacy. We cannot be absolutely certain of anything in life. Lori and I started dating when we were 16, and we've been together now almost 40 years, married for 34. I know Lori better than any other human being on this planet, and I am pretty sure she loves me. I mean, all the signs point to the fact that she loves me, not the least of which is sometimes she actually tells me so. (laughs) I've got a lot writing on this one belief that she loves me. But how can I be absolutely certain that she does? It's like that line from B.B. King, which I've repeated a million times before, no one loves me but my mother, and she might be jiving me too, right? (laughs) We all live with some degree of knowing and unknowing, and Christianity was never meant to resolve that paradox. Certainty was never the goal or a teaching of Jesus. If you think about the so-called fruits of the Spirit in Paul's Galatians 5, no, certainty is not one of them. Instead, what Jesus and later Paul taught was that we could only really find the fullness of God in between the knowing and the unknowing. Jesus perhaps said this best one day when he, when he spoke to a priest named Nicodemus who incidentally had come to him in the darkness of night. He was seeking certainty about who Jesus was. Nicodemus wanted to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but he needed evidence. And instead of evidence, Jesus spoke of trust. And when Nicodemus asked how it could be possible to trust in these things, that he cannot see. Jesus famously said this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with those born of the Spirit. What Jesus was talking about, and that is to say, how how do we know the wind blows even when we can't see it? It's something a little bit like what the 18th century philosopher Hegel called inductive reasoning. And I know you didn't come this morning for a uh, lesson in philosophy, but this was a breaking, important breaking moment in the history of of, of understanding how to talk about faith in an age of reason. Hegel was speaking to this whole generation of people who had been heavily influenced by the Enlightenment. In the Enlightenment, all these new discoveries like planetary orbits and gravity and microscopes and vaccines and calculus, they all helped science make exclusive claims about what we could know for certain. Some things suddenly could now be proven scientifically, mathematically, even um, philosophically through logic. And some things, they said, like God, could not. And so Hegel's response to this enlightenment critique of faith made him one of the most prominent philosophers in modern history. And his thought influenced many theologians who came after him. And I think it is one of the most compelling arguments for people who today struggle with faith and Christianity. Because what Hegel said was that faith begins 
with a deficiency in our knowledge or understanding of a situation. This happens, in, this happens in life for all of us, in, in, in spaces and in matters that are well beyond even faith. Think about how often, almost on a daily basis, you find yourself in situations where you don't have all the facts, but you still have to make a decision or a conclusion in order to move forward. Consider once again my dilemma about whether Lori really loves me or not. It's impossible to know everything there is about Lori. She's far more complex than what I can understand. I don't have all the facts about her. I can't factually prove with absolute certainty that she loves me. But based on all the signs over these last 40 years, I can reasonably conclude that she loves me. She could be faking me out, <laughs> but it's, you, you see, it's doubtful. Well, Hegel said that, that faith provides us with the will to step beyond absolute knowledge. He said faith is a calculated step in our reasoning whenever gaps of knowledge are present. It's like in, in the movie Dumb and Dumber, when Lloyd asks Mary, what do you think the chances of are, are of a, a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? You saw, you heard that. Okay. And Mary says, I don't, I don't know, like one in a million? And what does Lloyd say? So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> well, Hegel would say my chances with Lori are much better than Lloyd's. Because based on all the signs, it's reasonable to infer that she loves me. And Jesus said, just as you, you can trust the wind is blowing even when you can't see it, so too can you trust in the presence of the Spirit when you can only feel it but can't see it too. And it's the same kind of faithful logic that shows up in our passage from Romans. In this extraordinary hopeful passage, Paul speaks about the, the hardships and sufferings of life, not just for humans, but for all creation. He acknowledges that life is really hard and that terrible, painful, unexplainable things will happen. And the possibility for all this is baked into the universe. Nothing in creation is immune to it. And he says that creation is groaning for liberation from the, quote, decay and the labor pains of life. All of us are. And for some people like Paul, who has experienced his fair share of hardships and suffering, some people were pointing to him and assuming that this was maybe God's doing, as if God was somehow working against him in his suffering. That assumption would, would lead us all to despair. There'd be no reason to hope we would be defeated by our situations. But just like Jesus, who taught that we can trust that there's, there's wind, because we can feel it even when we can't see it, Paul uses the same logic by pointing to this horrible moment of Jesus being crucified on a cross. And he says, if you are suffering, Remember that not even Jesus was spared from suffering. In fact, he says, it's in the suffering of Jesus that we observe God's suffering for us. 
And this is how God demonstrates divine love for us. God suffers for us. And suddenly we understand the cross not as some act of sacrificing Jesus to atone for our sins, but as this vivid demonstration of how God suffers on behalf of our suffering. That God was actually in Christ, suffering for us. And Paul concludes, if that's true, then if God is, is, is with us in this way, who could be against us? Paul knows this love of God, but not with certainty. In his own suffering, he looks at the cross and he begins to fill in the gaps between the knowing and unknowing of his own human experience. Based on what he's observed, he infers that this divine love looks like this. And because of that, there is nothing, as he says, in life or in death that can separate us from that love. In some of his most beautiful and poetic prose, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things to come nor height nor depth nor anything in creation or other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as you see, it all begins with that little conjunction for And do you see how Paul uses it? It is another way of saying because. Not many of us use this conjunction for as a because, um, as in I gained five pounds over the holidays, for I ate too much peanut brittle. (laughs) We use because. And Paul uses a seemingly little inconsequential conjunction to describe how we can know God and experience God and trust God, and especially how we can find the courage to believe in God in the midst of our own suffering. Pointing to the cross, he says, because of that, I am persuaded. Some translations say, I am convinced, but there is no suggestion anywhere in these Greek words that, that speak of certainty. All Paul can say is, based on what I know, I'm persuaded to believe that nothing can separate me from God's love. And it all begins with this little four, because in the end, faith is not certainty. Faith is drawing conclusions based on the little we know, and then making a daring decision to keep moving, even when we do not have all the facts. Kierkegaard called it the leap of faith. One current theologian, Aaron Simmons, describes it this way. He says, faith is living a life of risk, with direction. I like that. Believing in the inseparable love of God in the face of suffering especially is living a life of risk with direction. In his memoir, An Hour Before Daylight, Jimmy Carter reflected on his childhood in rural Georgia and especially his relationships with his parents and his brother Billy, who, as you may remember, was often maligned during Clinton's, or or Carter's pregnancy, uh, pregnancy, wow. No, (laughs) presidency, yeah, yeah. That would be super weird. (laughs) Carter, he writes in his book about this incident that happened on Inauguration Day. And just as he and his family were walking down Pennsylvania Avenue and turning toward the White House for the first time, 
They were surrounded by reporters, and a question came from one reporter that was directed at Carter's mother. Miss Lillian asked the reporter, aren't you so proud of your son? And as the camera focused in on his mother, Jimmy Carter waited for her congratulatory words, but his mother paused and said, which one? And the contrast between her two sons, of course, couldn't have been more striking. Jimmy, the bright-focused Annapolis graduate, the nuclear submarine officer, a successful farmer, governor, and here's Billy, a hard-drinking, irreverent, unfocused, good old boy. But those distinctions have no meaning to a mother. For, as Paul might say, a mother's love like God's is indivisible. It's inseparable. It's enduring. And how do we know that about a mother's love? We don't. Not with absolute certainty. We only know it because some have seen and felt and experienced a mother's love before. And so it is with faith, and so it is with this inconquerable, inseparable, unending love of God when we can't see it. Our takeaways for today, true wisdom is knowing that we know practically nothing. Faith is living a life of risk with direction. And between the knowing and unknowing, we discover the inseparable love of God. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.